Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. Hey everybody, so Mike is not feeling well this week, so I am going to serve as your guide through Isaiah chapter 41. So as we looked into Isaiah 40 in our last couple of discussions, we noted the awesomeness, and as Mike called it, the bigness of God, that God is going to redeem his people from Babylonian captivity. He's going to bring them back into the promised land, and we can trust this because God is too awesome to fail. That's what Isaiah 40 is all about. As we get into Isaiah 41, we are going to note a different audience who is going to be addressed. So let me start in verse one. Keep silence before me, coastlands. Let the peoples replenish their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us assemble for judgment. So as you note in this verse, there is an initial call to the coastlands, and to the peoples. Now, if you, of course, look at a map of Israel, this could not be referring to Israel. Rather, this is an invitation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are now being given an invitation. And what Isaiah 41 verse 1 is doing is changing its focus from Israel to now offering an invitation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are called to come before God, and he is going to offer them an invitation. Verse 2, who has raised from the east one who is just and called him to be in his service? He hands nations over to him and subjects kings to him. His sword reduces them to dust, his bow to driven straw. He pursues them, passing on unscathed, hardly touching the path with its feet. Whose work is this? Who has brought it about? He who called the generations from the beginning. I, Adonai, am the first, and I am the same with those who are last. The coastlands have seen and become afraid. The ends of the earth have trembled. They have approached, and now they have come. As you go into verse 2, there is one that God has raised from the east, and this ruler has brought the nations. Again, this is the Gentile nations. He has subjected kings. He has conquered armies, and he has brought the nations before God. God is offering an invitation to the Gentiles to come to him. Now, Who is this one who is raised from the East? All types of guesses. Many guess this to be an echo back to Abraham. We're going to see Abraham mentioned in verse 8. And Abraham, of course, famously called out of the East. Um, Although I would say there may be some resonance with Abraham, it doesn't seem to be Abraham because this seems to be a coming ruler. Joshua also perhaps is echoed here, one who has conquered nations and who has gone out in great might. Many others think this to be Cyrus, who is going to be brought up by name later in Isaiah 44. Um, I, I am actually quite content to leave this ambiguous at this point. Although I do see a coming shadow 
to Cyrus and ultimately to Jesus. I think we need to let the text just be ambiguous at this point rather than try to name this individual or else Isaiah is going to name Cyrus just a few chapters later. But rather, God is going to be at work in the Gentile nations, bringing them together before him. And God is going to use this unnamed figure to bring the nations before him and offer an invitation to them. So ultimately, who is the one raised from the East? I think the better question is, who is the one raising from the East? And that is God. God is the one who is at work, not only in Israel, but also in the Gentile nations. Now, verse 4, to anyone who has studied Matthew with me, should just jump off the page. I, Adonai, am the first, and I am the same with those who are last. So, there's a bit of ambiguity in the Hebrew about how to read this. I think the CJB does a great job with this. I, Adonai, am the first and I am the same with those who are last. What God is declaring is that God is before all. God is before all rulers. God is before all other gods. God is the first. He is creator. Hearken back to Isaiah 40. But God is the same with those who are last. Now, this should bring to mind Matthew 20, verse 16. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. What God is proclaiming here in this verse is he is before all. He is the creator who is before all. But it doesn't matter when a nation comes to God. Israel came first. The Gentiles will come last. That, by the way, is I actually think what's going on in Matthew 20, 16, that the Gentiles and Jews are going to be the same in the kingdom. The kingdom is going to be for all nations to come in. And God is now offering this invitation to the Gentiles to come in. Well, God offers an invitation to the Gentiles. How do they respond? Verse 5, the coastlands, again, the Gentiles have seen and become afraid. The ends of the earth, the Gentiles have trembled. They have approached, and now they have come. Everyone helps his fellow workmen, and everyone says to his brother, be strong. The woodworker encourages the goldsmith. The polisher encourages the hammer. He says of the soldering, yes, that's good. Then puts nails in the idol to keep it from moving. How do the Gentiles respond? The Gentiles respond to Yahweh's invitation with a note of rejection. Rather than turning to God, the Gentiles flee before him. The Gentiles are going to trust in their idols. The Gentiles are going to trust in their power. And the Gentiles initially reject the Lord. Well, what God is going to do is then offer three pictures of consolation in the next part of the chapter. So if we can think of Isaiah 41 verses 1 to 7 as an invitation to and rejection by the Gentiles, Verses 8 down through verse 20 are three pictures of consolation. The first picture is the servant, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendants of Abraham, my friend, I have taken you to the ends of the earth, summoned you from its distant parts, 
and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you, not rejected you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be distressed, for I am your God. I will give you strength. I give you help. I support you with my victorious right hand. All those who are angry with you will be disgraced and put to shame. Those who fought against you will be destroyed and count to nothing. So the first picture of consolation that God is going to give is initially addressed back to his people. Again, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, Isaiah 40. After offering an invitation, but also rejection by the Gentiles, God is now looking to Israel and is reminding Israel of his grace, we may even say his militant grace, that has been at work among Israel. God has chosen Israel. God has protected Israel. God has raised Israel. And God has put to shame Israel's enemies. Why should the Gentiles come to God? Well, God is the one who is at work and has always been at work among the Gentiles, excuse me, among Israel, saving his people. And such as God can do for Israel, so he will do for the rest of the world. Now, we have to then consider this key word in verse 8, the servant. The servant. Who is this Servant. Well, this word servant, much as in the New Testament, could equally be translated as slave, and there may even be some reasons to prefer that translation. Israel, as a nation, began their covenant with God as slaves. This is the same word used in like Exodus 12 or Exodus 21 to describe slaves. Israel was a slave in Egypt, and God, through his gracious election, redeemed Israel, and put to shame Israel's enemies. So who is this servant? Well, the servant is the slave. Um, You have both Israel, Jacob, you have the nation, and then there's also going to be another Israel, a new representative of the nation, think recapitulation, that is going to come. And God is the one who has chosen and has loved and has graced this slave. So there's many different identities of this slave, but what's interesting is that every time God is the one who is at work redeeming and comforting and raising this slave. The second picture of consolation comes in verse 14, that of a worm. Have no fear, Jacob, you worm. You men of Israel, I will help you, says Adonai. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. I will make you into a threshing sledge, new with sharp pointed teeth, to thresh the mountains and crush them to dust, to reduce the hills to chaff. As you fan them, the wind will carry them off, and the whirlwind will scatter them. Then you rejoice in Adonai. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Well, why does God call Jacob, his nation, a worm? Well, notice again this dual process of humiliation and exaltation, 
Remember Karl Barth, the son of man humiliated is the son of God. Excuse me. The son of God humiliated is the son of man exalted. Much as Israel verses eight and nine is called a slave. Now Israel is called a worm, the most helpless and lowly of all creatures is a worm. But what God is going to do is turn this worm into a threshing sledge with new sharp pointed teeth to thresh the mountains and crush them to dust. What God is going to do is turn this worm into a sledge and this this sledge into a winnower. That the one who is lowest in the ground will one day be leveling the ground. But again, it is going to be the gracious election of God that is going to do this. The third picture of consolation picks up in verse 17, and that is of a desert traveler. Verse 17, the poor and needy look for water in vain. Their tongues are parched with thirst. I, Adonai, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not leave them. I will open up rivers on the barren hills and wells down into the broad valleys. I will turn the desert into a lake and dry ground into springs. I will plant the desert with cedars, acacias, myrtles, and olive trees. In the Arabah, I will put cypresses together with elm trees and larches. Then the people will know and see, together observe and understand, that the hand of Adonai has done this, that the Holy One of Israel created it. Well, what event is verses 17 through 20 promising? A new exodus. A new exodus. Much as God led his people into the wilderness and provided for them water and provided for them a land of fruitfulness, so God is promising to do with the nations. A new exodus is going to come. This exodus motif is going to flow throughout Isaiah 40 through 55. So it's one that we need to be keen to hear. Well, let's summarize the chapter to this point. Verses 1 to 7, God offers an invitation to the Gentiles, but the Gentiles reject it. Verses 8 through 20, three different pictures of consolation that God gives, each of which are an example of what God can do for Israel and what he promises to do for the nations, to transform the slave into a warrior, to transform the worm into a mountain crusher, and to transform a dry desert traveler into a land that is fruitful. So then the chapter ends with another call to the Gentiles. Verses 21 through 29 are going to be a call back to the Gentiles. Verse 21, present your case, says Adonai. Present your argument, says Jacob's king. Bring out those idols. Have them foretell the future for us. Tell us the past events so that we can reflect on them and understand their consequence. Or tell us about events yet to come. What State what will happen in the future so that we can know that you are gods. At least do something either good or bad, anything to make us awestruck and fearful. You can't because you are less than nothing. Whoever chooses you is an abomination. 
Well, after having presented three pictures of consolation, God shows a picture of humiliation of the idols. The idols cannot tell the past. The idols cannot tell the future. You can't because you are less than nothing. But then God presents a final picture of invitation. Verse 25, I rouse someone from the north, and he has come from the rising sun. He will call on my name. He will trample on rulers as if they were mud, like a potter treading clay. Who said this at the start so that we could know, or foretold it and we could say he's right? In fact, no one said it. No one foretold it. The fact is nobody hears what you say. I am the first to declare it to Zion, to send Jerusalem a messenger with good news. But when I look around, there is no one. Not a single one can give counsel. Who, when I ask, can give an answer? Look at them all. What they do is nothing. Their idols are so much wind and waste. Well, God has provided another invitation to the Gentiles. And this time there is another one who is coming. There is a one who is coming from the north. Now, many read this again to be Cyrus. Um, looking at what we're going to see come in Isaiah 44 through 47, I think good reason to understand this to be. But again, I'm content to let this be anonymous right now. That God is the one who is going to raise up a ruler to bring the nations to him. But then... The idols have been exposed as nothing. Verse 28, when I look around, there is no one. Not a single one can give counsel. Who then can I ask? Who can answer? Look at them all. What they do is nothing. Their idols are so much wind and waste. Isaiah 41 ends with what Motyer calls a plight. And I love that term to describe what's going on here. God has invited the Gentiles to come to him. God has invited all nations to come to him. But the Gentiles fled back to their idols. But in fleeing back to their idols, their idols have been exposed as powerless. They are nothing. What then will the Gentiles do? Who can redeem them? Who can give them redemption? Who can give them counsel? For that, we must look at Isaiah 42. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to Podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Make sure you follow us on social media, subscribe, and click the bell to get notified when we drop a new episode. Until next time, and for all time. Your God reigns.